0: How many of you guys have uh, started your Christmas shopping already? Anybody? Okay, here's the next question. How many of you guys have finished your Christmas shopping already? Has anybody finished their Christmas shopping? And Let me see, let me see those hands one more time. Anybody finished their Christmas shopping? Oh, one person. You are on the ball. Sherry, you're the, you are on the ball. I remember as a kid growing up, probably one of the worst Christmas gifts a seven-year-old kid could ever get from my mom. I love my mom, guys. I love her, love her, love her. She prayed for me. She birthed me. All that great stuff. But one Christmas, I opened up a gift that had my name on it. From mom to Stefan, I love you. And I thought, yes, I'm getting something I asked for. When I unwrapped it, though, it was a book. Now, listen, now if my mom gave me a book, I would enjoy it. In fact, she gave me a book for my birthday. I enjoyed it. But at seven years old, I did not want a book for, my birth, for, for Christmas. See, my birthday is so close to Christmas, I could talk about both. I'm not going to talk about my birthday though. I promise you guys. I promise you guys. However, as I've grown up, I actually place a high value on reading. I enjoy reading books. And when I talk to leaders, I always ask them a couple questions. One are you reading? And if they're not reading, then I'm like, mm, I don't know if I want to talk to you anymore. Just kidding. I don't, I don't do that. Uh, but the second question I ask is, what are you reading? Because I believe that the best leaders are readers, right? I believe that uh, a leader who reads is a leader who continues to learn. If you go in Pastor Jeff's office, he has so many books, he has to stack them on top of each other. He gets new books, he reads them, and he stacks them. So we know, guys, Pastor Jeff is a great leader because he's a reader. Am I right? <laughs> I thought there would have been a lot more amens on that one, but okay. (laughs) All right, all right. Now, some of you, any any other book lovers here? Anybody else? Yeah. Now, some of you guys enjoy science fiction. Uh, Some of you guys enjoy mysteries. Some of you enjoy romance novels. Not gonna say anybody's name. But I am a biography type of man. I like biographies. I like reading about people's lives. I like hearing about their mistakes. And their triumphs. And I, I like the good times and the bad times and the sad times. Biographies, especially tell-all biographies, they tell us everything. And so in a moment, we're going we're to look into the biography of Jesus. I like biographies because they reveal a lot about a person to us. They reveal how they handle some situations. Certain situations may pop up and, and they're able to navigate that situation. And that's one of the great things about biographies is we read about how other people handled difficult situations, and we can glean that from them. This morning, we're going to take a look at John chapter 8. It's going to be on the screen. And it says this, John chapter 8, verse 3. It says, as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Mm -mm." They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more Let us pray one more time. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power and the life that is in it. God, I pray that this morning that you would just continue to dwell in our midst. I pray, God, that you would utilize me as a vessel to bring a word to your people. God, I thank you that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. So I thank you that you saved us and that you have raised us up once again with you. In your name I pray and all God's children said this morning. We are very fortunate and blessed to have a really good biography about Jesus' life. We have four books, five if you want to count Acts, because Luke wrote Acts, but four primary books that are the biography of Jesus. And the best part about that is each gospel shows us a different side of Jesus. Matthew wrote to primarily a Jewish audience, and he portrays Jesus as the king that they had been waiting for. And this is why Jesus, uh, Matthew highlights Jesus' genealogy. Right at the beginning, it's that long genealogy in the book of Matthew. That is why Matthew does that, it's because he's writing to a Jewish audience. Mark, Mark, Marky, Mark, wrote to a primarily Gentile audience particularly a Roman audience. And if you read through Mark, he, he keeps the narrative going. It's fast-paced. He gives us quick scenes into Jesus' life. Mark is like the Snapchat of the Gospels. Quick scenes of what's going on in Jesus' life. He keeps the pace going. You read words like immediately in the book of Mark because the Romans uh, kept moving it. They kept on going. They, just, they were like the Energizer bunnies. They were always doing something, always going. And Mark was writing to them particularly as he writes his uh, biography of Jesus. Luke is a skilled writer, and he is an accurate historian, and he presents Jesus as the hope for all humanity. And John writes his gospel to emphasize that God was, that Jesus was fully God and fully man, the God-man. And this is why John starts off his gospel with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word... Some of you guys knew it. Some of you guys are like, I kind of know it. I don't. Let's try this again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God in the Word. And then the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And if I had a little bit more time this morning, because this morning I, I could go on for a few hours, but I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I would unpack that entire just introduction of what John is trying to say there. But this morning I want to preach a message using as a title. It's very simple. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. John, he brings us this account because he wants to show us who Jesus is. He wants to show us Jesus' role in humanity. I'm very thankful for the ability to read these stories because it shows me a couple of things primarily that Jesus had haters. Anybody have haters in your life? You know, for for those of you who don't know what haters are, haters are people who just, just hate everything you do. You put on your shoes, you walk out the door, and people are hating on you. You know, you got that person that's just a real hater. Jesus had haters. He had haters, and they were called the Pharisees. They were the religious people of the day, and they didn't like Jesus, they didn't like the way Jesus talked, they probably didn't like the way Jesus walked, they didn't like his hair, they just had to hate, hate, hate on Jesus. Sort of like how some of you guys hate on the Montreal Canadiens, because for some reason you're Toronto Maple Leaf fans, but that's okay. I know Pastor Jordan will agree with that, that's okay. It doesn't matter the score though. We'll strike that out the podcast just to make sure that that isn't, isn't there. <laughs> John shows us that Jesus, as God, had haters. and Jesus comes down into our world and he is the personification of what is written in the law. You remember the law, the Ten Commandments, right? In, in the Old Testament, Moses goes up to the mountain and a finger writes the laws on stones, And I want you to keep that in the back of your head as we we go through this story. A finger writes the law on stones. Jesus is the personification of the law. Allow me to break that down a little bit more. If you break into my house and you steal my Jordan collection, do not throw to me the criminal code of Canada. I don't want that. Call the popo. Call the police. I need someone who has already studied that to do something for me. I don't need the criminal code. It's not going to help me. If I, for some reason, commit a crime because you've stolen my Jordans, do not throw to me a book of legal procedures. I want a lawyer. A lawyer personifies the legal procedures. You see, Jesus personifies what is written in the Ten Commandments. He personifies what is written in the law. And this morning, I want to highlight... Jesus and how he works in our lives and so our text finds jesus teaching in the temple and jesus he's teaching you know he's probably gathered around probably sort of like this he's just teaching you know what i mean listen i'm jesus i'm forgiving your sins right it's probably something some spiritual like that and then out of nowhere this commotion happens. Now, if you're like me, all right, when I'm walking through the mall, you know, minding my own business, you know, and a commotion happens, I'm not going to continue to walk by and, and not do anything. I'm going to be like, I'm going to be looking, all right? And I picture that people are probably there and they're just, hmm, what's going on here? Why is there like four or five men dragging this lady right up in front of Jesus? The Bible tells us uh, that they caught her in adultery. Now, Hold on a second. They caught her in adultery. They caught her in adultery. Now, you have to understand, this is not 2017 where we have video cameras and iPhones that you could hide. The only way that they could have caught her in adultery was if they were, hold on, wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on. The only way they could have caught her in adultery is if they, no, no, the Pharisees, the righteous Pharisees, they wouldn't, they, let me try this again. The only way they caught her in adultery is they were there watching? Huh, these are some weird people we got here. But when your, your hate is so strong, you'll do anything to capture Jesus. But that's okay because uh, Jesus has got a plan. You see, the Pharisees, they tried to do this many times. They would try to bring up something to Jesus who would, you know, they would hope they would be able to to trap him into something. They would ask him questions and try to trap him uh, with his answer. But every time, Jesus had the perfect answer for them. And so this lady is caught in adultery, and the law of Moses demands that she be stoned. And they're trying to trap Jesus because if Jesus says to stone her, then he contradicts everything that he said about himself, which is I'm here full of grace and mercy and I, I want to forgive. But in those times, the Jewish people could not, the Jewish leaders could not uh, pronounce a sentence over someone. That was only the Romans. Romans. And so if Jesus decided that he was pronouncing a sentence over her, then he's calling himself above the Romans, and he's putting himself and exalting himself above the rulers of the day. Hmm. This is a this is a good uh, good situation we got here. Let's take a look at the at, at the, uh, at the, the story. Uh, John chapter 8, verse, I'm gonna say five. Three, there it is. The law of Moses says to stoner, sorry. What do you say? Let's go to the next one. Ah, uh, yes. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. Leave that up for a sec- Leave that up for me. You know, the enemy is always trying to trap people. The enemy is always trying to trap followers of God. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. The enemy is always after a reaction from you. He he always wants you to say something without thinking. I'm going to, full disclosure, there have been a few times in my life where I might say something real quickly without thinking about what I'm going to say. I don't know if I'm the only one, but I, because I will fully disclose that, you know, and it has earned me sometimes swift rebuke in the form of a box. For those of you guys who don't know what a box is, a slap across the face from my mom. It, listen, sometimes people like me, we talk a lot, and sometimes we don't think about what we're saying. But I love what Jesus does here. Instead of reacting, instead of coming back right away with a quick retort, he stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. See, I have that highlighted in red. Hmm. Hmm. You know what's interesting about, about this first scene right here? Jesus is doing a lot of things. He's not paying attention to the Pharisees because he already knows that they're trying to set him up. And he already knows that they're just as much guilty of any sin as this woman is guilty of this sin. The second thing that Jesus does here, because when I read the Gospels, I, I sort of put myself in the scene, and so I think when the Bible says that they caught her in the middle of adultery and they brought her in front of everybody, I, you know, I don't think this woman's wearing a lot of clothes, and I think that they put her right in front of everybody, and I don't know about you, but if you're in front of people and you don't expect to be in front of people and you're halfway naked, you're kind of humiliated. And I think when Jesus turns away from the Pharisees and he stoops down, I think what he's doing here is he's taking all the humiliation off of her. Because when you're there watching, if you're in the crowd watching, you're like, yo, Jesus is about to do something big. And then Jesus just turns away. You're not paying attention. You want to know what Jesus is doing. And so I think when Jesus turns and he stoops down and starts playing with the dust, I think he's taking the humiliation off of her. See, I believe this is also symbolic of Jesus' mission. Jesus plays with the dust. He's writing in the dust. Different translations will use different things. Jesus is interacting with dust. Jesus is interacting with dust. Jesus is the word, right? We, we established that, right? And the word was with God and the word, right? So Jesus and God are the same person, right? And in Genesis, does anybody remember how man was formed? So what if, well uh, if, oh, we're good class. If, if what I'm understanding here and what you're helping me to understand is Jesus who is stooping down playing with dust is doing the same thing that God did when he created humanity, He's playing with dust. He's interacting with humanity in this moment. And it's symbolic of what God wa- Jesus wants to do. He wants to interact with humanity. You see, because the law put us to death. The law, we, we can't uphold the law. And Jesus came to interact with humanity. He was standing and now he's kneeling with and and writing in the dust. They kept demanding an answer. Haters will always just be up in your ear. Constantly. The enemy is always going to be in your ear. Telling you, no, you can't do that. No, you're no good. No, you're dumb. No, you're stupid. You can't be doing these things. That's what a hater does. That's what the enemy does. He's always up in your ear. And so the, the, the haters, the Pharisees, are demanding an answer. And then Jesus is like, okay, I've had enough of you guys. Jesus, he stands up, stood up again, verse 7, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. You, you see the difference between a reaction and a response. Jesus, Jesus doesn't even waste his time. He, he's like, all right, cool, this is what you want to do. But here's my response to what you, what you guys say. You, if you're without sin, throw that stone. If, if you're blameless, you throw the stone. Isn't that like our God? to come up with a response on our behalf. This woman does deserve to be stoned, though. But you guys aren't going to be the ones that stone him, stone her. You see, the Pharisees were so eager to keep the law. They were so eager to, to be righteous. They were so eager in all of that that they sort of forgot about their own sin. They sort of forgot that that they were just as bad as this woman was, according to the law. Jesus never denied that she should be stoned. Jesus upholds the law. You cannot change the word that God had given. The law says that she should be stoned. But the law also said let those who are blameless cast the first stone. And the Pharisees, the righteous one, they couldn't do it because guess what? They were not blameless. Can I tell you something? When haters come up against you, don't pay them no attention. Turn your back. You see what Jesus did there? He turned his back and he got down on his knees. I believe Jesus is telling us, listen, when the enemy comes up against you, turn your back and get down on your knees. When, when, when haters come against you and tell you you're not good enough or, or that you deserve this because of what you've done, turn your back and get down on your knees and, and pray. Because Jesus came down to, to, to interact with humanity. He's here to fight on your behalf. He's here to respond on your behalf. And when you are a child of the king, you don't have to worry about that because you have a God, a Savior who will fight for you. Jesus does not condemn. Jesus does not condemn. He came to save. Hmm. I don't know about you, but that's a that's a truth right there. Jesus could have condemned her. He could have said, Yeah, you know what, you're right. I will throw the first stone. But that's not what he did. He came to save. You know, the law was never given so that men could work their way to heaven. The law was given as a standard of righteousness. But the law was also given to show all men that, that we're sinners. That we deserve God's eternal wrath. It doesn't matter what the sin is. It's only humanity. It's only humans that, that la- d- label sins. This sin isn't as bad as this sin. But in God's eyes, it's all the same. Whether you kill someone or steal something, it is sin to God. Whether you commit adultery or you lie to your parents or your kids, it is sin to God. Wrong is wrong. There are no categories of wrong in God's eyes. When you are wrong, you are wrong. When you've sinned, you've sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But thankfully, God sent his son to to bridge that gap between the law and God. See, the law was given to show us that we need something, that something is called grace. See, Jesus here, he's full of grace and mercy. We serve a God who who establishes that he wants to show grace first. One of the most important lessons I've learned before calling out anybody else's sin is dealing with my own dealing with my own and the Pharisees failed to do that but it's a lesson to us all before we call out anybody else's sin let's take a look at our own sin because if the Pharisees had done that they probably wouldn't have dragged this woman in front of Jesus as he was teaching in the temple ah but we know better we can learn from the foolish mistakes of the Pharisees it's a daily looking at ourselves. It's a daily looking and dealing with our own sin first. I am a sinner. I am no better than you. You're no better than me. We're all sinners, but we all have jumped into the river of grace. Hmm. Look what Jesus says to the woman after the Pharisees and the, the scribes, they sink, slink away. He says, I do not, where are your accusers? Where are the ones who have come to condemn you? I do not condemn you either. Go from now on and sin no more. Well, he did not say, go on your way. Sin no more and then I will condemn you. No, he said, go on your way and sin no more. Her pardon was not dependent on her behavior her pardon was the motivation to change her behavior. If forgiveness depends on having a perfect track record, no one could obtain it. Because we all sin, we all fall short, but God grants forgiveness as a free gift to all those who put their trust in Christ. You see, the Bible doesn't tell us what happens to this lady after on. The Bible doesn't say if she becomes a follower or not, but I'm going to suspect This is just me that she did. I'm going to suspect that when Jesus was on the cross, she was there. I'm going to suspect that when you've been given a second chance, she took it. And so I read this passage. I read this story. And I think, man. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Many scholars, you know, there was a debate about what Jesus wrote when he he stooped down. One scholar wrote, I think Jesus wrote Amazing Grace. It's not true because Jesus didn't write that song. I think when Jesus stooped down, he probably wrote down her name. See, the Bible only tells us gender and sin, but I think Jesus knew her name and her sin. And he probably wiped it away because he knew that he was taking her sin on his back and going to Calvary soon. See, I believe that, that this lady, she, she probably followed Jesus after that. I believe that she accepted that grace, and that grace became a motive to live in holiness. I believe she devoted herself to the one who gave himself for her. I don't know about you, but I think there's something really significant that Jesus stood up, he got down, and then rose himself up again in this passage. Because I believe that Jesus came down from heaven to earth to interact with humanity, to show us that he is here to give us grace and mercy He stooped down again and then rose himself up later again. Now, I don't want you to leave thinking, well, we serve a God full of grace and full of mercy. And yes, he is. But he he balances that out with justice. Because if if, if a plane is heavy on one side, it, it only goes around in circles. It has to be... Come on, you guys know what Pastor Jeff's favorite word is? Two people know. Of course Pastor Jeff knows. It has to be balanced. He came with grace and mercy, but he's going to come back with truth and justice. So I'm here this morning to ask you a question. I I think I ask this question every time. Who are you in this story? Who are you? Maybe you're, you're someone in the crowd just watching. Maybe you're someone in the crowd just there. It's like, hmm, got my popcorn. This looks like it's gonna be a good show. You're on the outside, you're just looking, maybe you take away a couple nuggets. Maybe, maybe you're a Pharisee. And and you need to learn that, and um, you know, maybe I need to learn it too, that that it it's not about righteousness, it's about the love of people. It's it's not about upholding the law, it's about taking care of the people and and dealing with the sin in in my life first and taking the speck out of my own eye or the log out of my own eye before I try to take out the speck in someone else's eye. Maybe you're that woman. Maybe the enemy has been using you. Maybe the enemy is getting after you. Maybe you're humiliated. Maybe you're ashamed of yourself. Maybe you're Jesus. What? What? Maybe I'm Jesus? Yeah, maybe you're Jesus. Maybe the enemy is coming after you too. And at every left turn, the enemy pops up and you you try to go right and the enemy's there. Worship team, you can join me. Maybe every step you take, the enemy is trying to persecute you. I almost preached a message this morning called the positives of persecution. Here's a positive of when you get persecuted. It's because the enemy knows that your destiny is going to do something great. And if he can stop you before you get there... He knows that he has wiped you out. The enemy tried to stop Jesus so many times in his life, even before he was born. So maybe that's you this morning. See, I believe there's something for all of us. Maybe you're here and the enemy's trying to condemn you. Maybe he's he's bringing up memories and telling you that you're not worthy of his love, He's bringing up things in your past, things that you've done, things that you've walked through, things that you've said. But you need to know that Jesus, Jesus ushered in grace and mercy. Grace ushers in forgiveness. Jesus wants you to know that he has forgiven you. He's forgiven your sins. He has taken your sin and your shame and your humiliation, your wrongs, everything that you've said wrong, everything that you've done wrong, thought wrong, he's taken them on his back. And then he went to Calvary. So that you can go and sin no more. So that you can go and live in grace. See, God doesn't want you to live in sin. He wants you to live in a new identity that's marked by grace and mercy. So if Jesus were here and he were to to stoop down in the dust, he'd write your name and my name. He'd write the word grace and then right below it or above it new identity. He's essentially telling you this. I'm here for you and I will not condemn you. He's essentially saying, I am here for you and I will not condemn you." I picture pictures people in the crowd saying, God, you, you didn't do anything. And Jesus saying, I, I did more than you can ever imagine for that woman and we're going to go back into some worship in a moment Pastor Jeff will come and close us off and we can go home I don't know where you are this morning I don't know if you've thought about it you've thought about yourself in this story but if if that's you this morning if you feel condemned if you feel persecuted if you feel humiliated would you allow God to cover you? Would you allow Jesus to cover you and protect you? This is a really ancient picture. Is a picture of Moses. This is a picture of a person on the ground laying down. Coward. Then there's a picture of Moses holding the Ten Commandments. Ready to hit the person over the head with it. And then there's Jesus covering that person. Jesus is saying, I'll cover you. I've covered your sin. I've covered your shame. So go and sin no more.